Blog Talk Radio. Well, hey kids, it's a Monday. I almost said morning. Can you believe that? That's because I have a time change. I feel like I'm confused here because I'm looking at noon and I'm thinking to myself, okay, am I in the wrong time zone here? Maybe it's because it's Monday and it's the start of the week. So, welcome back, everybody. Obviously, this is my Monday edition of Sims Chat Corner. Before I get on the line with our wonderful, fantastic author today, I just want to remind everybody about a couple quick things, and then we'll get on to the interview. First of all, I want to let everybody know when I'm on here all week long. Obviously, you know I have a show today at noon Central Standard Time. Tomorrow, I'm going to be interviewing um, author Wynne Charles at 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. And the best way to describe her is not only a survivor, but a successful one at that. She had a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis at a young age. And so not only has she gone on to become an author, but also an artist and an athlete as well. So to say that I'm incredibly proud to be hosting her is putting it mildly. Anytime I get to promote a fellow author, I'm obviously very excited, but this is just such an amazing opportunity. So that's 1 o'clock Central Standard Time tomorrow. Wednesday, of course, um, back on air once again. It looks like I have a show. I apologize. I do not have a show on the 4th. Just pretend like we didn't just say that. See, this is what happens when I book too many shows in one week. So nobody on the 4th. Thursday the 5th, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time. That is our rescheduled show with Sean T. He happens to be also a 24-year-old up-and-coming musician who lives in New York City and L.A. I think he splits time between both. And so he's kind of a rising star. He's kind of a combination between R&B and hip-hop as far as his music goes. And so he's just released a new video as well as a new song. So we're going to be talking to him 3 o'clock Central Standard Time on Thursday. And then Friday, of course, Dr. Greg Summer is on the show, and that's 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. And one of the exciting parts about doing this is this is for the very first time not only have I not had a 11 time patented uh, scientist on my show, but secondarily, we get to talk about, um, wait for it, male infertility. I'm a little squeamish about this. We all know that, but the reality is he's got a lot of great information. He's come out with a new product called Track. T-R-A-K, if you guys want to go ahead and check it out. Otherwise, check my show page. Um, We're going to be talking about how it helps folks uh, in a more private, more discreet manner try to work with uh, infertility. So to say that I'm super excited about that is putting it mildly, too, because he's a very accredited scientist. People have known him for years. He's done some amazing work. So. Without further ado, that's my show schedule. Don't want to forget to remind everybody, uh, I've literally posted the event for Art is Alive Film Festival, meaning the ticket portion. Everybody has a Facebook event page for their particular film, 27 screenings, one celebrity event, and fortunate enough to also be screening the Red Bandana. And luckily for us, Sarah Singer is going to be coming. So, yes, she is the terrorist survivor who was on my show. She was in Jerusalem and survived a bus attack. So how grateful am I that she's going to participate uh, in my event. And we're still working on the Scientology angle, but we all know that we can't highly publicize that. So just listen to the show or check out my page in terms of particular updates as it relates to that. So getting super excited about that as well. Uh, don't want to forget 26th to the 28th, and that's at New York City. That is also for uh, Producers Club, New York City, October 26th to 28th. Art is Alive Film Festival. We're on Facebook. We also have the website.yolasite.com. Web- Please do your best to go ahead and get the word out. Order your tickets. I have a total, I believe, of 60 people that can fit per screening. My hope is to be able to fill the house with everyone. We also have a total of 20 Q&A panels along with three industry panels. So, I can't wait to go home to New York. That's all I can say. So instead of me babbling anymore, let's get to our guest today. I'm so sorry that Christina had to wait here, but we just have a lot to cover with the weekend being over. So let's get talking to her and see what we've got to say about her new book. I'm so excited. Hi, Christina. Hi, Sin. How are you? (laughs) Well, you heard everything going on in my life in the last four minutes, didn't you? you? I'm like, oh, my God. Well, you know, it's, it's. I'm an author like yourself who started off doing the author thing, which led to doing the radio thing, which led to the film thing. So now I kind of have my hand in all sorts of things, including Scientology, which is kind of creepy. Um, Wow. There's a lot that goes on. (laughs) Well, there is. There's a lot that happens. Plus, I, you know, when I'm off the air all weekend, stuff comes up over the weekend. You want to remind people of events and things like that. So, but here we are. So I appreciate your patience. I just wanted to kind of get caught up because this is like the only time I get to talk to anybody. Because, um, yeah, as yeah, you know, no problem. <laughs> yes, I know. that's quite all right. Well. well, first of all, let me say thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had an opportunity, and I wish that I would have had a chance to cram the entire book reading into one session, but I was unable to complete your book 100%. But I can go off of what I know. 
Um, obviously, we'll have a nice different discussion about you as a person, you as an author, as well as the book itself. So hopefully, we'll get a, we'll, we'll get a chance to cover you completely from start to finish. Um, Sounds good. First, well, thank you. The first thing I want to talk about, because we're both authors, and I think a lot of the people that listen to my show are creatives to begin with, meaning they're, they're in film or they're trying to get into film or music or art. So I want you to talk a little bit your experience because mine's a little bit different. Um, I've kind of gotten tired of being married to my laptop because, believe it or not, I am. I'm either <laughs> writing or typing something. You know, I don't think people realize that. And you, I would like you to share your experiences from a writer's perspective, meaning I want people to kind of get a sense of an author's job, meaning that I know it sounds glamorous when we all say, oh, yes, I'm a professional author. But talk a little bit about the pluses and then maybe about some of the plights as it relates to your journey in writing so far. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, I, there's definitely some of both, pluses and perils, I like to say, because, I mean, on the plus side, I, I think it's sort of, I think in writing fiction, because I also write nonfiction as a, I'm a wine writer also, but in the fiction right. world, just being able to sort of like, you can create the lives and go places that you want to go but can't. I just think that creative element of like whatever craziness is going on in your head, you can put it down on the page or, you know, the life you want and dream to live, you can make it up and write about it. So I just think it's a very kind of liberating thing to be able to do that. And you can kind of do it at any time or any place, which is, is amazing. I think that some of that is also some of the, you know, the perils of it because, I mean, I, you know, sometimes these thoughts come to you when you're sleeping or when you're running or when you're just doing some random thing, and, and it, it haunts you in some ways. So I, I think there's, there's no way to shut it off, at least for me. Um, you know, the creative bursts come always kind of, in unexpected ways and, and not necessarily when I'm in front of my computer. So I find myself, you know, tapping out things in my phone and on random scraps of paper, napkins in restaurants, you know, whatever, just when something comes up and I, I know my mind will forget it, I need to write it down. And so I think that that aspect of it is um, is a good and a bad thing. <laughs> the ideas just oh, don't definitely. quit, so I think, <laughs> um, you know, and and I don't know if you were meaning to just like, the publishing process and the writing process itself, I, I didn't know if, if you're meaning sort of the ups and downs of that side as well. Well, we'll get to the publishing part of things because that's a little more okay. complex as we both know. Um, yeah. I, I guess the other question I wanted to ask you is I am a traditional, I call myself a traditional writer, which is when you got into my house, at the end of the day when I actually write something, I mean that I actually write something. So literally I avoid my laptop. I mean, I do research on it, don't get me wrong. So I'm curious to if you have a systematic way, meaning – some authors are completely computer. I still have a brother typewriter that I still type on. I'm getting an antique typewriter. So I'm very old school writer. So I was curious yeah, now yeah. because for you, that probably would not work with it because you are crazy busy constantly between uh, book promotion and doing the column, et cetera. Do you, I mean, what is your forte as it relates to format as far as how you write? Yeah, I think I, I use a few different formats. I, I definitely, um, you know, I use my phone and my iPad and my computer to kind of, you know, when I'm really sitting down and writing a piece out, I, I, I kind of use technology in some ways just because of the convenience and the quickness of it. Um, I can type super fast, and so it helps. I, I also, though, I, I do enjoy the the act of actually physically writing things down and, and, and doing that side of it, too. So sometimes when I just know I want to be off the computer but I want to be creative, I have always have a notebook with me also because I – so I guess I'm, I'm a little spastic in my approach um, to writing because I, I sort of use all different all different methods and um, it, it makes a little trying to think all that up is sometimes you know I've got things in my phone and things on my iPad things on my notebook you know but but it all kind of comes together so I think it's you know I always tell people like I think for every writer like you said you you kind of have an old school approach of a typewriter and and a pad and that sort of thing I sort of feel like whatever works for you know what, what, whatever works for you for me it's it's sort of a hodgepodge <laughs> depending on the moment and my mood actually I understand I do completely now the other thing that we want to brace because this just happened to me today is maybe I'm crazy but the reality is that rejection is never easy I mean I used to get rejected like a hundred times over when I was much younger and I first started out and I just got rejected again today and I'm like I don't know maybe it's because I'm older now but it's harder I think now to get it 
So one yeah, of the things yeah. that I think it's really important that we talk about is um, talk to your audience a little bit about if you could give some constructive or, or creative advice in terms of how to deal with rejection so it does not um, negate your purpose. I think what happens is younger writers yeah. or those that aren't used to it, they, they're like, you know what, I just keep getting turned out and I'm done. And so they lose yeah, encouragement, yeah. they get discouraged. So talk a little bit about that in terms of how people can kind of keep their hope up in terms of pursuing their passion without just running away at the first couple of rejections. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I would love to talk about this topic. And, and actually, I've, I've been on a few panels, and I'm on a panel that's coming up. Just just the, the panels and things are on publishing, but I, I think what goes hand in hand with publishing is rejection. I mean, in every facet of, of the world, uh, facet of the process it is rejection. I mean, and, and I, I maybe I'll start out with, like, the positive and then the backstory behind it. But the one thing I always <laughs> say every time I'm talking or I'm speaking at something is like don't ever give up like if you believe in your work and what you're doing and it's feeding you don't ever give up and and I also like to say don't give up before someone told me this and it's something like I kind of tack to my brain and I stick it on post-it notice don't give up before your next great thing happens because it's just it could be just around the corner and it and it's definitely it's a it's a perseverance game and and it's hard i mean it is very hard dealing with the rejection but i feel like you actually the sooner you can get used to just having a way in which to deal with it the better because whether you're sending it out to agents or sending out to publishers or sending out to an award or whatever it is there, you know, I, I think there are those people that instantly, you know, get a win out of the gate. Uh, but I would say the norm is much more the opposite where you're talking about mountains and mountains of rejection. Like this, this panel that I was on this weekend, there were a couple of us on the panel that were talking about just, you know, that process of submitting and then getting an agent and then shopping the book and then rejection, you know, happens in every kind of phase phase of it. And you have to just, you know, I think like you said, I, I don't think it ever gets easy and sometimes it feels harder than other times, but I just think it's kind of like you have to take it in and, and I say, is there, you know, when I would get rejections when I was submitting to agents, let's say, for example, I would take a look at what they were saying. Sometimes it's a blanket rejection. And when it's a blanket rejection in some way, that should be the easiest kind of rejection to get over because they're sending you a form letter or a form email with no reason or explanation. And it's kind of like read it and move on and, and toss it, you know, use it to wallpaper your wall if that helps you or your desk, <laughs> whatever, toss it away whatever. I think then there's also the kinds of rejections where they are giving you a reason for the rejection, whether it's, oh, we just bought something like that, or it's like, we love this character, but we didn't believe in this character, or, or whatever the issue is. A lot of times there's really constructive feedback in the rejection that can really be helpful. I mean, I, I, I got a piece of rejection from an agent uh, way back when who, you know, kind of looked at my book and told me, I love the characters, I love the book, but you have two stories here. You have two books here, and mm -hmm. you need to reconcile that. And that, you know, when I first heard that, and, and she had, like, requested part of the book and then 50 pages and then the full manuscript, and I thought, this is it, this is it. <laughs> you know, who's going to read 50 pages and then not want the whole book? Well, the right. agent read the whole book, and she liked the whole book, but she told me, you've got two books here. And so, you know, I did that one hurt because I think – that was kind of the first uh, time that I got that far in the process, and I told myself this was it, which is another thing, you know, isn't necessarily – you can't look at that this is it each time because then those, you know, rejections are harder to kind of bounce back from. But, but I, I looked at what she had to say, and I felt like I, I understood her point. And so I, I took that rejection as a really kind of a positive because I, I realized she was right in what she was saying – and then I went to work at like how do I how do I fix that? So I, I think you know part of rejection is being able to let it roll off you you know like water on a field's back, but at the same time if there's truth to those words you know you have to get get you have to get used to the constructive feedback and take that as a great as a great rejection and 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 I think you know in working with an agent at at one point for my for the dating vendor 
we were getting, um, you know, different rejections from different publishers. But, you know, she was like, this is the best kind of rejection to get this particular one because they were like, they love this, they love that, they like the voice, they love this part of the storyline, but they bought a book just like that. But she was like, you look at that feedback and that's good feedback. You know, we know we're, you know, we know we're on the right track. So I just think it's, uh, it, it, it's never easy. But, I mean, my hugest piece of advice is I, I had several times that I was quitting and I was giving up, and, and I'll end this long diatribe in one second. <laughs> but I, here in San Francisco, in the area where I live, there's this big literary festival, which is coming up um, next week, and it's called Litquake. And every year for the last nine years, I've gone to this, uh, to this festival, and they have a series of panels that are on, like, publishing. One of them is, you know, publishers are there dishing on publishing. And this other panel um, is where debut authors talk about how they got their first break. And so every year for the last nine years, I attend this panel, these panels. And last year, I was ready to give up. I was ready to quit. I had, like, I was just ready to quit. And I, I would go to these panels each year to kind of inspire me to keep going. And um, and last year there was this guy on the panel, and he said, I was, you know, and he told a story like this. I used to go to this panel every year, and this year I'm sitting behind the table. So, like, don't ever give up. And and this year I'm super, super, super excited because I'm going to Litquake, and I'm actually going to be on that same panel. And and. The kind of the takeaway is never give up because it may take a while and there's a lot of bloodshed and tears, you know, dropped <laughs> along the way. But if you believe, you just keep on going. You keep on going. You keep on going. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. I've babbled no. on. But I think it's an important <laughs> That's okay. Topic. That's it's a sign of passion in my opinion. Like, it's it's just a, it's an essential it's an essential part of writing. I think. Um, oh, it is. You betcha. Absolutely. Plus, I want to ask you this, because obviously you live in an area that I can only imagine must induce some of the most inspirational thoughts in three or four books in and of itself, because obviously you're in the Napa Valley area, correct? And I can imagine right, I'm picturing right. beauty and wine and great weather, and I'm thinking to myself, you must totally live in the best place in the United States to write. <laughs> I mean, have you found better yeah, success? Yeah, I mean, do you think climate and environment and all that has changed a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because before I moved up here, I, I lived in big cities. I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and then I lived in New York City for a stint, and then I lived um, uh, in Los Angeles before I moved uh, before I moved out to the wine country. And and I, uh, when I was living in L.A., I, I worked in the um, film production industry, and then I also worked in advertising. And But I used to come up here. I had a friend that I worked with who moved to L.A., she quit her job and became a massage therapist up here. And this is what happens up here. People visit up here and they fall in love, and next thing you know, they're moving here. And I used to visit mm-hmm. her, and uh, and I just was like, this is where I want to, like, write. This is where I want to write, and this is where I want to live. And, it's, you know, it is a beautiful, inspirational place. And, and yeah, so one day I, I, I quit my job. <laughs> And I moved up here, and and I decided to. That's when I decided to, you know, try to be a freelance writer, and um, and and yeah, it's it's it's, I, I can't. It, it is. It's a really uh, amazing place. They're just kind of outside. Okay. The wine is everywhere. The scenery is beautiful, and and it's a different way of life. It's you know, it's a country kind of way of life, but but it also has an urban side to it with the wine and the food and all that sort of thing, which are all things that I love. So yeah, yeah, and I, I feel like the information, the ideas, and the creativity definitely flows because there's a lot of creative people up here. There's a lot of people that paint, and, you know, there's right. tons of writers. There's, you know, it, and winemakers look at themselves as artists. They are artists, and they're creating something from nature and from wine, and, and their personality goes into it. So it's a very, just this whole valley is creative, but in all very different ways. That's very cool. And that's actually one of the similarities that you and I share, obviously, is having an affinity for wine. If if anybody, and there's a few that follow me, obviously, um, they know that I have this, I post about wine constantly. It's like one of my biggest things. So I'm so loving you and hating you in the best way possible because I'm like, oh, my God, she gets to write about my favorite thing in the world constantly. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
So you told her you're not getting off my show without me asking you this question. So this is one of many questions relative to um, the writing itself. But obviously, of course, as it relates to wine, first of all, you live in one of the best places to get it. So I'm just curious to ask you, would you indulge in yourself? And if you can give your listening audience some idea of some of your favorites out there, or maybe some new things to try from a wine perspective, because who better to ask than somebody sure. like you? Sure, sure. Um, what I'll have to say, like my favorite, one of my hands down favorite wines, um, is from Bengi Vineyards. And, and this actually is a little bit how my wine writing started. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I met, I bumped into this winemaker, Kirk Vengi, and his dad is, is very famous in, in Napa Valley because he was the first winemaker to get a hundred point score from the kind of famous wine critic, Robert Parker. And, um, anyway, Hi. so he, you know, grew up making wine with his dad and, and broke off on his own to start a winery and, um, and his wines are just they're amazing. Um, and what probably his favorite wine of mine, it's, it's called Scout's Honor. It's, it's named after his, one of his loyal dogs. And, and, but, but the wine itself, it's, it's, it's a red blend, which a lot of times people think, oh, red blend, that's just kind of like everything in the kitchen sink goes in there and it's a cheap wine. But it actually can be quite, it can be quite the opposite. And this is a red blend that is just, it's a bodacious wine. That's the only way I can describe it. It's just really sure. kind of complicated and dense and just, it's amazing. It's so that's kind of hands down one of my one of my favorite wines and one of my favorite winemakers. He he does winemaking for several different wineries up here as a consultant. And I can and and uh, I mean this is not usually always the case, but but I can taste a wine and and say like I I wonder if Kirk's the winemaker here because his wine just has a really distinct. Uh, it it has kind of a distinct style and and it's it's really. Amazing. So if people are ever coming to Napa, that is like a must-stop destination, in my opinion, for the wines alone. Um, and then I guess the other, you know, the other kind of comment I'd say on wine is that everybody kind of has a different taste and different palate and um, yeah. and different things speak to different people. So while I like really full-bodied, big red wines and Cabernets and Petite Syrahs and that sort of thing, you know, other people, that's their kryptonite, and they're just like, oh, it's too heavy, it's too this, it's too that. So I, I think, you know, up here, people can get really hoity-toity about their wine talk. I mean, I like to say, like, oh, the wow. wine techniques speak, where people are throwing around all the tannins and silky this and, blah, 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 you know, all these sort of things. And I think that's great. There's, you know, some people enjoy looking at wine in that way, but one of the first things when I moved up here um, – I thought there was just too much of a preponderance of that tech wine geek speak. And I, I started, you know, I, I wrote a blog when I first moved here called Wacky Wine Sense. And the, the whole thought of that was just that, like, there's a lot of people that love wine. They love the taste of wine. They don't care what it smells like. They don't care about any of those technical terms. They just drink something and say, oh, I like this. I like it. It tastes like whatever to me. Or, oh, this is awful. Right. It tastes like dirt, you know, whatever. And that everybody has their own opinion, and that's amazing. And to me, that's one of the great things about wine. It's, it can be one person's love is another person's hate, and that just is right. we all taste it in a different way. So. Gotcha. Absolutely. In fact, I had just thrown a poll about this over the weekend. I don't know if you have the answer to this, but I know that you have experience in this area. I happen to watch one of those reality shows, uh, the Wahlburgers, actually. You know, the Wahlberg family owns mm-hmm. a restaurant called Wahlburgers. And it just so happens that Mark Wahlberger had um, gone to a vineyard, or actually I should say a winery in Italy, and they were actually serving them wine straight from the barrels. So this had been the first time I'd ever seen this because my understanding was until it fully matures, you're not really supposed to be taking a lot of the wine from there. So I was curious to ask it. Nobody really had the answer. So I'm like, again, let's pick your brain a little bit if you know. I'm yeah, just sure. curious. But, you know, can you tell me about yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. And and they do. And that is a thing, um, definitely a thing up here, is that they do do barrel tastings. Wine, winemakers and wineries will do barrel tastings. And, and you're right in that when it's in the barrel, it is aging and, and it's not, you know, there's right. it needs to spend a certain number of days and months um, in oak barrels or stainless steel barrels or whatever to be ready for bottling. However, there there's a time in that process where the wine is not mature, you know, reached its full maturity in the winemaker's mind for what he wants for it to be ready to bottle. However, it can be very drinkable at certain phases in that. And so, I mean, wine, especially during harvest and, and kind of the months afterwards, 
at any given time, uh, winemakers will do tastings, and they have this. It's called a, a wine um, a wine seat. It, it looks like a big uh, turkey basting thing, and they stick okay. that in the barrel, and that sucks the wine out directly out from the barrel, and then they put it in your glass, and and that's you know basically a barrel tasting. And and the wine, wow. and, and what sometimes they like to do is they give you a, a barrel sample, a barrel, a t- a, you know, have a barrel tasting sample, you know, and the wine is, is, is not bottled and it might not be modeled for another couple of months or, or even longer. And, and if you were to taste the barrel sample and then taste the bottled wine, you would be tasting two very different wines, even though the components that went into it are exactly the same, but they're at a different kind of maturation point and it therefore taste very uh, different. But, but it, it, the barrel samples are often, you know, they usually are not going to have you sampling it until it's matured to a place where it's still a very good wine, but it's different from what will be the final wine. Oh, of course. I gotcha. Yeah, I just found that so intriguing because I'm like, really? I never see that happen. You know what I mean? And especially, obviously, it was on TV and they were filming this, and I thought, boy, I mean, they they really didn't kind of react one way or the other about, oh, the wine was wonderful or the wine was not aged or whatever have you, but I just thought it was a really neat concept. I was like, oh, my God, they're taking the vineyards. It is. They're they're taking them to the vineyards and doing this. Wow. Yeah, if you're ever at a place and they offer a barrel sample, definitely do it because it's you know it's the wines are usually very good still even though they're not sure. technically finished. Right. No, I get it. Well, thank you for that. So that definitely helps me out here because I think in Wisconsin they had done this during a wine festival and I thought, yeah, maybe we should stay away from that. But now I'm totally <laughs> down for that. So yay! Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Go okay. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> now this is interesting, folks. Just so you know, you were educated at Townsend. Towson University, and so you got a Bachelor of Science degree, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I have a question relative to this. So what's a Bachelor of Science degree lady doing writing books? Because <laughs> I was like, shouldn't she be, like, inventing something or testing something yeah, in a lab? Do you yeah. know what I'm trying to say? So I was curious to ask you, yeah. do you ever get to utilize the degree, or were you going in that direction at one point and did a 360? How'd that happen? Yeah, I mean, I I was I had I did get a bachelor's degree, um, a BS degree, and it was in business and marketing, and which mm-hmm. is you know not at all like a, a BA, a bachelor of arts degree is very kind of what a writer normally would get that type of degree, and I I sure. you know I was raised in a household you know kind of a, a very old school household uh, Catholic household, and where you know when you went to college you went to college to become like a lawyer, a banker, a teacher, you know, kind of a traditional sure. profession. You did not, you did not go to school to, <laughs> to quote my dad, to be in a crazy creative career. Like that just was not, you know, in my family's mind, an honest way to earn a living. And so I just right. kind of grew up with that sort of philosophy and, you know, therefore for the good or bad of it, never considered a creative career ever. And so I went to college, and I studied business, and I studied marketing, and I, that's how I ended up working in advertising, and I worked in uh, uh, publishing and, and all of that. And, and it was somewhere, you know, in life as I started to get older and realized, well, I enjoyed advertising, and it was a heyday, and there was tons of fun, and I worked in the technology sector and, and had a ton of fun, you know, pre, during, and after the dot-com boom and all of that. But, um, but right. I realized at a certain point, like, I wanted to write and I wanted to do creative pursuits, you know, like doing theater and that sort of thing. And I decided, you know what, I, I, I can do these things now. It's it's not taboo or whatever. And so that was part of, you know, I had kind of a turning point in my life where I decided to kind of go down the creative path um, and, and did. And, and I'm very happy I've gone down that path. One thing I will say, uh, you know, having just had a book come out and been doing a ton of kind of pre-promotional efforts, the marketing and business comes in very handy <laughs> because I, I, I guess I'm kind of one of those crazy people that I do have a very kind of analytical business-minded brain, you know, that was probably I was branded and, and bred into me for many, many years. And then I have sure. this creative side that I kind of tapped later in life. And it is very handy to have both because it's hard sometimes I feel like Sybil, like I have to be like my creative person wants to do this and my marketing head is telling me, no, 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 you need to be doing this first is more important right now. And so um, while I cursed 
all that business background for a very long time, I, I'm also now seeing very much the value of just, you know, I can't help but to look at the business angle of things. And, and, and it's very right. helpful in promoting a book because once you write it, you know, then you have to sell it. And, and so I think what right. one thing I did do, which I think I would recommend to anybody is when I wrote the book, I just went and I wrote it in a vacuum. I didn't know anything about publishing and I chose not to learn anything about publishing until I finished the book. And I feel like right. I'm very glad that I did that because had I done any amount of research about publishing while I was writing, I never would have finished the book. I never, never would have finished the book because the statistics are so, you know, whatever. It's less than a percent of people, I think, that write a book ever get public. You know, the statistics know. are not at all in your favor. And I would have been like, I part of me would have been like, I love writing it and it's fun and it's, you know, I have a story to tell or whatever, but my logical side would have sure. been like, this is not a good spend of your time, you know. So I'm glad that I, sure. when I was doing the creative thing, that's what I was doing. And, you know, and then when I finished, then I realized, okay, now it's time to turn to the other side of the fence, which is a lot less, I don't know. It's it's not as fun for me, the marketing side, as the actual writing side. But I see, you know, you need both, really, in my opinion. Um, you need both. So so that's how I, I did put it. I put it to use. I put it to use um, my this degree. But in a, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know. In a different kind of way, you know, and I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I think people don't realize that, you know, almost as much of the work is in the writing as it comes down to promoting it because obviously sometimes the book doesn't sell itself. I mean, clearly I've noticed, and this drives me nuts. I don't know if this drives you nuts or not, but we live in a world nowadays where the word author, I think, sometimes gets thrown loosely, meaning that if you're a mega celebrity and you're out there, and even if you wrote a quarter of the book, you're now an author as well. And I notice that if they have a celebrity face on the front of something, it's become so much easier for somebody to sell it. Um, I mean, that's not a banker guarantee, but I do think that it does make it harder for the regular indie people out there, those that are trying to get their name out there, their face out there. It's tough. I mean, it's tough to market. It's tough to sell. Um, we now have 800 platforms from the Kindles to the you name it, you know, all those different formats to use to yeah. sell a book. Um, so it's challenging. I mean, the, the whole marketing side of things, and I'm with you there. I'm like, oh, my God, the amount of time that I put just into marketing something, it's exhausting sometimes. I mean, you yeah, really yeah. folks, you really have to have a wherewithal, and you have to have a strong will, and you have to believe in this book more than probably half of the universe, literally, because I believe it all starts with the author. If you're not believing in what you're selling, you're not going to be able to sell well. You know that? I mean, it's just a, yeah, I think yeah. it's just a common fact. Yeah, gotcha. that's, that's now, totally, it's, it's, it's so true what you're saying, very true. Well, thank you. Um, now, interestingly, she is married with children at this point in her life, and so I was <laughs> curious to ask this, because I ask this of all the people, because I'm a, a, you know, I'm a single girl, but of course I have kids at home as well, and I'm managing a full-time career, et cetera. So do you find that you get yourself in a quandary where you're a bit more challenged in terms of having time for your writing, or do you feel you have the kind of lifestyle that's conducive to being a writer? Because sometimes writers go nuts because they're like, oh, my God, if I could just get a few hours to write something. But with your life, you know, the status quo in terms of your lifestyle, sometimes that can be really challenging. So talk a bit about the, yeah. the juggling act we all kind of do. How challenging is that for you? Um, plus, give – Give the folks a bird's eye view in terms of because we know you're a columnist. So are you dedicated to that on a daily, weekly basis, et cetera, just so we get some idea of what your schedule's like? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely a juggling match. And and I think the motherhood, I have twins, uh, three-year-old twins. <laughs> so right. it, it, it's the juggling act is, is kind of it's crazy. And um, and because like you mentioned, I you know so I'm a freelance writer. I'm but I write a regular column for North Davis Magazine, which is a monthly column. So that's a standing thing that I'm always doing. And, and I also write for that magazine as well as a handful of other magazines and newspapers. And so I have assignments that I get, some that are recurring, some that are, you know, are on the fly. And um, so, th so that's, you know, one aspect of my work. Then, of course, I have, you know, the book that I, when I was writing it and now right. promoting that book and then the other things in the process. And then I, you know, I do copywriting work as well. And then I take care of my, you know, children um, who are in preschool. And so I, I think it's one, one thing, and I heard this, I, w I was on a panel recently that was um, all mothers that are writers, you know, and, and most of them are also working also in addition to their writing. Sure. 
And that was the question, like, how do you, you know, how do you do all that? And again, I think this is kind of different for everybody, how they juggle their time or whatever. But for me, I, um, you know, in a former life, I was a project manager, which is all about scheduling other people's time. And, and that mm-hmm. kind of comes in handy because I, I do have to, whether it's late at night or during the day or, you know, first thing in the morning, I have to kind of plot out my day. And, and I look at, like, right. okay, what deadline work do I have to do? What kind of creative, you know, am I doing a book promotion thing or am I kind of, you know, trying to crack at the next book, you know, and, and I have to, it's like a Jenga game, you know, game of Jenga, I, where I sit there and figure out, like, here are all the things that I have to do this week, and how am I going to do them? And I would say one thing that, and I'm certain, you know, given the rundown that you gave at the beginning of the show and everything that you've got going mm. on, um, I, I think, like, I sit down with all those things that have to get done and figure out, you know, I, I allocate time for, for everything. So I think it's like, gotcha. you know, I, I do allocate time for, you know, okay, this is where I'm going to just write. I'm not going to worry about, you know, that other stuff right now. I'm going to do the writing part of it. And then, okay, now there I have go. a column due, so I need to dedicate time to that. So I think it's just right. like, and And someone said, like, you have to get used to stealing time on the fly. Like, so if you're sitting in your car waiting for 10 minutes for such and such to begin or whatever, a class to begin, you that could be the time that you write. Like some people write, I heard like someone was talking about how they wrote a book over the course of two years, feeling like 10 minutes on a lunch break every day to do that. So I think, you know, sometimes people look at like you have to have a really specific routine of like every morning I wake up and write an hour or every night I do that or blah, 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 you know, whatever the case is, is all of that is, you know, maybe that's how they approach their day. But other people, you got to get the time you can get. Like for me, if I can steal 10 right. minutes to do something, that's my writing time, you know, and, and it's just kind of those stolen moments are valuable moments and people write books that way. Um, nice. Very nice. Well, and I like the fact that you have it. You know, most oftentimes what happens is some of us just realize, like, when was the last time you ever wrote for yourself? That seems to be my current funk is I write for everyone else all the time. And then you're like, hmm, when was the last time I did something for myself? So I finally decided the other day, I'm going to write this film because I believe in it, because I like it, and because it's important to me. But I think you need to do that. I think the point here, folks, is me time makes sense, meaning me time or lack of me time, I think, makes all of us look at things differently, act differently. It changes our whole disposition. I, I think we talk a lot about that as writers because you get caught in that funk where you do some tremendously wonderful, well-written work, but it's for everyone else. And so it's important that we stay true to ourselves in terms of having some pet projects that we like so much. Um, now, I know in the past you have written about food and wine, meaning you've contributed to places like Weddings California, San Francisco Chronicle, The Bohemian, 7 by 7 Um so I want to ask you, um, in general, overall, of all the things you've written thus far or contributed to, tell us some of the favorite, some of, what are some of your favorite things to write about or some of the things that you've offered that you're most authored, that you're most proud of? Yeah, I, I would say um, I, I do, I love writing about wine and food because I am a wino foodie person. So, so I, I love, I love that's that's definitely kind of a highlight uh you know and i get to interview a lot of winemakers and so i think it's it's a it's a great gig if you can get it because you know sometimes i'm interviewing people that are um you know a lot of famous people like to start wineries um you know so i i get to kind of do that and which is really kind of cool like i recently interviewed um danica patrick who's like the female nascar racer famous racer yeah um and she's yeah yeah and she uh recently um started a, a has a vineyard and and a wine brand that just came out and so you know so i those are really kind of fun and cool assignments i mean I also cover for the North Bay Bohemian, which is kind of an arts weekly paper uh, in the Bay Area. I always cover mm-hmm. the Napa Valley Film Festival, and I got last year I got to interview Matthew McConaughey. So that that was probably hands down Hello. my biggest like exciting writerly moment. And I have can I just tell you this? I'm gonna I, you know I was starstruck oh, of gosh, course, yeah. but I had to keep it real and keep it business. But but he oh, sure. is the nicest person. Like he, it was like really? you know. It, carpet thing and and his handlers like trying to like you know blow him through the line of people and, right. and you know they're 
bigger publications that were there beyond the ones I was there representing and writing for. And I I forget what we were even talking about, but I asked him like a couple questions and he was in the middle of kind of answering and telling a story and his handler was like, Matthew, you know, and he just, and I I was like, again, it was an amazing moment. He looked to her and he said, I'm in the middle of talking with Christina. Like he remembered my like having truly like a one minute conversation. He made the point. He remembered my name, all the other 20 people with me. He knew their name. And he's like, I'm, I'm finishing my conversation with Christina. Hang on. And then he looked right back, eye contact with me, finished discussing the question that I had asked. Oh, like, so amazing to meet you. So, so that was, I just thought, he's a megastar and, and a truly Southern kind of guy, you know, Southern, oh, you know, nice. breeze, you know. So, so, yeah, so those were, you know, those were some good uh, moments. I got to interview John Travolta also at the festival a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah, yeah, there's some fun assignments. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Did I, you hear I that? Did you notice? Like, you, I noticed again? you didn't say the words. I was just going to say, I noticed you didn't say the words. I interviewed Matthew McConaughey and then passed out because I would not have been able to oh, do no, that. Because, know, good God, is he good looking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and he is, yeah, he is, and so, you know, and someone, like, uh, that was on the Red Carpet interviewing line with me, so, you know, as he was coming, they were like, what if, and this is totally unprofessional, but what if, like, while you're talking to him, I'll take a picture of you interviewing him, and when I'm interviewing, if you can take my picture, and I was like, that's so cool, it is probably unprofessional, but yes, I think that's, (laughs) we can do this, we can do, you know, it's totally fine, and, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a heartthrob moment, and a, and a career high as well. <laughs> oh, I bet. That's absolutely And then I think awesome. the only other it part is. of that question, I, I truly love, um, I, you know, that's kind of nonfiction work that I do, but, but I, I love fiction in that you can take it wherever you want to take it. And, and I tend to err on the side of my writing, even, even in my, you know, right. my nonfiction writing, I err on the side of sarcasm and humor and, and, in fiction, I can go as high and far with that as I want, which, which I love. Comedy is kind of, oh, I enjoy sure. writing funny. So um, that's cool. I like that. That's absolutely awesome. Okay, so what we want to talk about here is another similarity we have is we both love our coffee because I literally ran out of the coffee yesterday, and I love this when I was reading uh, this intro about you about how she loves her coffee. I'm ugly without coffee. I've said that to people. I'm like, don't yeah, talk to me. Yeah. Don't say anything to me. Don't send me anything until I've had my coffee. But the other thing is I wanted to ask you about this. You have a love of dysfunctional eating ladies, and I just laughed out loud when I read that because I'm like, oh, my God, this girl must be reading my bio because there is, there, I, am, I am completely dysfunctional myself. And I'm like, I love my dysfunctional eating ladies. So give me your top three. Who are your top favorite three dysfunctional leading ladies you can think of right off the top of your head? Because I'm like, we have to compare oh, notes. Um, so of the leading ladies, not writer of leading ladies, or the actual right. leading ladies themselves. You can do either. Um, you really can do either. Okay. Or. Okay. Well, the one is kind of a combo. Uh, Maria Simple is my one of my all-time favorite authors, and she writes a mean funny, not mean as in a mean person, but like a mean badass kind of, No, I she writes functional women, like, and I just feel like I love that because her characters, like the, the mom in Where to Go Bernadette, one of her kind of most famous books, um, it is like a mess of a, um, a mess of a mother, but it's funny. It's, she writes it in a funny way that at times I nodded my head and was like, yes, yes, yes. This is so honest and true. And, um, and you know, in her most recent book, uh, I think it's called Tomorrow Will Be Different, or Today Will Be Different, which I think I wake up every day telling myself today will be different, yesterday was hell, you know, whatever. But, right. um, but you know, her character in that book, again, it was kind of a afraid woman that, you know, was having what was going to be a banner day that just bombed big time. And, and so I, you know, so I just, yeah. I, I think, you know, so that's, um, I also like in 30 rock, I, I think Liz Lemon, you know, Tina Fey's character oh, yeah. in that show was just like, you know, just dysfunctional, but so like lovable and relatable at times too, you know, things went over the top, exactly. but also it's just so, you know, just so relatable. Like, I just feel like as women, you know, we cannot be, and I say this all every time that I talk about dysfunction, but we can't all be fabulous all the time. You know, we right. as women, we're juggling it all. We're doing it all. We're, you know, and right. and some days we are just killing it in a good way. And other days it's we are just not. And that's 
you know, that's life. And so I, why I love dysfunctional writing about, like, you know, in my book, Samantha is like a hot mess of the highest order. Like she is just trying so hard to do the right thing, to be the best person she can be amid a lot of dysfunction in her family. And, but she just keeps messing up, you know, really messing up. And I just feel like that, I just feel like there should be more stories and more films and TV shows that, that show that honest, you know, like I also love another um, on uh, Amazon, there's a TV show called, catastrophe which is a oh. brilliant hilarious pee your pants cry with laughter show and the woman um sharon is is she writes the show she's the showrunner and she's the leading lady in the show and she is just effed up and 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 just uh in in a also just a relatable way like she just she's again trying to just live her life and and she just gets in her way constantly so she's another like great dysfunctional lady character and the show is just hilarious if you have not watched it everyone needs to watch this show it's so funny that is like too funny now do you have any thoughts on karen walker she's my absolute favorite dysfunctional person ever karen walker from will and grace like she's my mantra i'm like oh my god i'm not working with karen i love karen yeah yeah Oh, yeah, Karen is, what's not to love about Karen? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yes, I love her. (laughs) Thank you. That's kind of what I thought, actually. So I was like, okay, fine. Oh, and we don't want to forget to talk about this before we get to talking about the book, of course. Um, You are a columnist for the North Bay Biz Magazine, so we're always big on shameless promotion on this show. So talk to the folks a little bit about the magazine itself, um, you know, in case they want to check it out or check out some of your work, because I know you contribute there. So tell us about the magazine itself. Yeah, the magazine, it's a business, it's a business trade publication for the North Bay, which is is Napa, Sonoma, Marin, um, San Rafael, kind of like the, you know, in the Bay Area, there's North Bay, East Bay, you know, so it it covers the North Bay region. And I write the, it's the Napa Insider column. And so in theory, I am the kind of insider of what's going on on a business and for, you know, in the Napa region. And, and, and here's where mm-hmm. the wine comes in handy, <laughs> um, is that in Napa, like, I don't know what the actual full statistic is. I should know this. But I would say at least 80% of the business in Napa is related to wine, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. wineries or winemakers or tasting rooms or what have you. You know, there's like over 500 wineries here now. So I write about the business going goings on in Napa Valley and um you know and a lot of that is is wine related and so yeah okay. and the magazine is just it's focused on local businesses um in all those different counties and and yeah and it and it does a lot of kind of slice of life that you know there's a lot of people that come here to make their dream come true and start businesses right. and um and come here for that very reason and so i think you know we profile a lot of amazing people that you know just came here on a shoestring to do something they always dreamed of doing. And for whatever reason, the Valley inspires people to do that, invites people to like ditch their life as they know it and come here. And, and I, I get to write about that, which is cool because that's how I ended up here. You know, I'm not some amazing person, but I just was an average Joe, average Jane (laughs) that ditched my life as I knew it to come here to do something I always wanted to do. And so the magazine, I think, um, you know, promotes you know, that. Those are a lot of the stories that we like to tell. Very cool. I like that. Now, just so that we have notice of this, is it a monthly publication or weekly publication? I wasn't it clear is. on that. Yeah. So I forgot it's to a check. Monthly, okay. a monthly, yeah, it's a monthly publication called North Bay Biz Magazine. Gotcha. Wonderful. Okay. So that brings us to, obviously, the dating vendors. I was reading the back of this before I even started reading it, folks, and so I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, she almost sounds like a pseudo Carrie Bradshaw. You know who Carrie Bradshaw is, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex in the City. And I was like, oh, my God, this sounds funny. So my first question to you was, um, were you concerned at all, because obviously this is loosely in parts based upon your dating experiences in life, so I often wonder when people do books like this, I mean, were you concerned about exes or other people or feathers getting ruffled, et cetera? Because I'm thinking, when I see read this, they're like, oh, my God, that's me they're talking about. And that's the, yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? I do, I do. Yeah, and it's, it's the question that people always ask me, like, oh, is this your life story? And I, I do like to I, – I constantly – 
find myself having to remind people when they ask, I say, it is fiction. It is fiction. Now things will, you know, those of you that knew me when <laughs> right. I lived in New York and those of you that knew me when I lived um, here and there, like, yeah, some of these situations will sound familiar in places, you know, the book, the book, the, the path that Samantha takes on her kind of rollicking road to redemption, and, you know, are places right. that I've lived or visited or, you know, that they were a part of my life. And so, yeah, I, you know, what I like to tell people is that, like, when I when I started writing the book, I was single, and I, I, you know, kind of the heyday of singlehood, I was living in New York, and I was also living in Los Angeles, and some mm-hmm. crazy things go down in these cities, like, when you're single, like, I think because they're such big cities, just, just people, I think, get away with or try to get away with things you could never pull off, like, in a small town, for example, like, where I live, because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows everybody. I think because it's the, not everybody knows everybody in New York City. You know, the, all those, like in Sex in the City, for example, uh, that you had brought up. Like, I mean, I think mm-hmm. people that have not lived in New York are like, there is no way Samantha does what, you know, that Samantha does what she did and whatever, you know. And, and some of those scenarios are over the top. But, you know, but it's not that over the top, um, you know. So I think those <laughs> things go down. Those things go down. Now, in my book, in certain situations, like, I chose to go way over the top because, you know, it's a humorous sure. book and it's a dark, you know, black right. comedy kind of thing. And so I went way over the top in places intentionally. But, um, but like, you know, these crazy things happen in these cities, and that's kind of how the book be- began was because, like, me and my girlfriends would get together after a weekend and just over a glass of wine and just talk about, like, these just some crazy dates that happen of, like, you know, I mean, I once, like, dated this person that turned out to be, like, closeted snake tamer. Like, I, I mean, and he was a lawyer. He just looked, you know, I, I in my, originally I had him, you know, he was, like, Mr. Good on Paper. He just seemed like, oh, this is such a great guy, whatever. Until, like, one day he was making me dinner, and I showed up, and he was, like, had a snake wrapped around his neck, and it just was, like, whoa. Oh, my. You know. <laughs> so, anyway, um, you know, the dating, bender, the dating Bender originally was not a book. I never set out to write a book at, at the time. I just was kind of writing down funny stories because I did not want to forget them. And, and, and then sure. as, as the stories continued with, you know, girlfriends or – stories that they heard or, you know, whatever. It's kind of like the telephone game. People, the stories just kept coming and people were telling me things and whatever. And I was like, you know, I, I just started writing things down. And, and then I, 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 the more that the stories, you know, kind of the pile of stories became, I, I started looking at, I was raised Catholic and kind of that, you know, all the trappings that go with that and sex and all the right. conflict that Catholics have over sex. Oh, and yeah. And I started to think, like, how funny would it be that contrast of like when you're single and dating and in those cities where it's, you know, there's lots of sex happening and whatever. And then you pair that with (laughs) someone that was raised in this kind of Catholic upbringing where sex is the antichrist kind of thinking and whatever, like what if you make those two worlds collide? And, and, you know, and then if you toss in there, like I had uh, written an essay in the North Bay Bohemian, another publication I write for called like fire your family. Like, you know, just kind of playing up. It was a playful, funny essay about that premise of like can you ever like when your family does inappropriate things can you just fire them can you hand them a pink slip or whatever right uh, right I saw that uh, and people thought it was funny people you know and so I started thinking like yeah what if she's got this crazy family and she's got this single life and she you know and she's trying to reconcile those things you know like what what would happen then and so that's kind of how it came about it's just Making all of those worlds collide. Uh. (laughs) And it's done beautifully. I mean, you know, obviously, of course, it's always difficult for the average reader because they never know. Most people don't research someone else. They would know it was your debut novel necessarily, um, which is a testament, I think, to to an individual's writing. When you're able to get soaked or saturated into a particular novel or book, et cetera, and um, you're not critiquing them, you're merely reading it for enjoyment and it flows well and the characters are relatable, which in your particular case is true within the course of the book. Um, 
when you set out to do your very first novel, was it important to you to pick something that you could relate to, meaning that would make it easier to write? I mean, did you know right from the get-go? Because I know you said it wasn't originally intending to be a book. But once you made that, that conscious decision in your mind, yes, I want to put a book together, do you think it is easier for us to compile something word-wise and heart-wise sometimes, because I think a lot of writing comes from right on the inside, when you can relate to it or when you're close to the subject? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that old kind of writing uh, cliche or, or whatever, that people are always saying, like, write what you know, write what you know. And right. I absolutely think that's true. Like, and, and write what you know can mean many different things. That can mean, you know, I know about wine, so I I write about wine. But, but it can just right. be like, you know, it could be something you love that you write about that you're deeply passionate about. It can be something that you hate so much that you want to write about it because you hate it so much. It can be places that you love, you know, and you've been and you are you have a lot of um, kind of, you know, you look back fondly at kind of things. So so I think writing, you know, I, I, I think most writers would admit that every almost everything you write about some comes from some thread of what you know, like, you know, and, and a lot of times, I mean, I've heard people talk about like, you know, the, the grand, you know, the kernel that a character started from, you know, was somehow, you know, kind of an amalgamation of several different people or whatever, but that that was rooted in real life. Now it took on a totally other, you know, path it ultimately takes. But I think sometimes you start out with a kernel of truth and it just gets, it's like popcorn. Then it pops and it starts getting bigger and, and goes in different directions and, and whatever. Sure. But I, I think the you know, writing what you know, it is who you are. And I think it transforms a lot of times as you're writing it and the process goes along. All of a sudden it takes on its own other life and, and the character pops in your head and, you know, and you just kind of go off into the running. But I, I do think it's kind of like... Um, you know, we had, you know, for me, I've lived in tons of different places. I was married before. I was single before. I had a certain upbringing and lived in cities, lived in countries or whatever. And all of that is like part of who I am. And I've met crazy people along the way and I've met amazing people along the way. And I just, you know, hmm. so I feel like all us people, we have just an arsenal of information just within us, you know, and not that we can't write about things that didn't ever happen to us, that's where research comes into place and talking to people that have Correct. those lives and, you know, but, but I, I think that, um, you know, I, I definitely pull from my life and, and that's what I love how I, I do, you know, I have a mother life I pull from, I have a, a reporter journalist life I pull from, a wine person I, you know, I have many lives exactly. to pull from and scenarios and experiences and that definitely influence influence my work for sure and it influences nonfiction work as well as fiction definitely well and the other question i have for you is now of course that the book has been out for just a little bit are you getting any feedback yet are you getting um what are people saying or, or what kind of things are you hearing about their overall impressions of the book yeah, I mean, I think people are really enjoying it and embracing it. I, I think they like the hot, you know, a comment I hear all the time is like, Samantha is just a hot mess. She's a hot mess. I hear yes. people say like, I was screaming at the book. I was like in a coffee shop and Samantha was doing da-da-da. And I was like, why? You know, they were saying, why is she doing this? You know, I, I've heard people compare uh, her and certain aspects of the book of like, a train, you know, a train that's on route to derail and you can't stop, you know, you want to stop the character from going off the track, but you can't, right. you want to look away sometimes, right. but you can't, you know, and so exactly. I think, and, and, you know, that's, I think the reaction, it, it definitely, um, it gets very sort of heated, passionate reactions, I'm finding. Some people are just, like, passionate in the ways, like, why does she keep doing these stupid things? And other people are like, she's got her, you know, she goes for what she's wanting, and she, it's not pretty, and it's not right, and she makes tons of mistakes, but that's so real. That's life, you know. So I find I, I get very heated responses of people that feel like the character is super relatable um, to some people, very relatable, and they, right. you know, kind of liked her torment and liked how, she kind of messed up along the way, but still tried to do better and tried to live a better life. And she just kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. Other people were like, saw the other side of that of like, 
why can't she get her act together, you know, like, and, and I think, you know, and people related to her, you know, religious upbringing, whether people were raised Catholic or Jewish or, or whatever, you know, who were raised in a kind of that environment, I think, relate to it in a way. And other people were like, wow, I didn't know, you know, I have a friend that was raised Catholic and, wow, I never knew what she probably went through, you know. So I think it strikes a lot of chords with people for a lot of different reasons. Um, but right. I think in general people kind of you know I, I've had people say you know that they've kind of spit out coffee sometimes with laughter sometimes with horror um, <laughs> uh, and they're like don't drink it in a public place because you might be spitting out food or whatever you know and and so it's 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 I think I kind of I you know I don't do anything I think I even write it in my bio like I I live life to the extreme like I I don't do anything kind of lighthearted or you know gently I I just go full bore with things and so I think I very intentionally wanted the book to be kind of invoke many reactions love hate reactions and and just people with convictions um you know contradicting convictions and it seems like that people you know are heated in a lot of different reasons (laughs) while reading. No, 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 so, I know. For Definitely, me, that's without exciting. a doubt. For me, it's, it's that, that's exciting is, is that people, you know, that's kind of what you hope that it, 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 it invokes um, emotions for people and, um, and it, it seems to be the case. So that's, it's kind of yes. cool. It's cool to hear that kind of feedback. Oh, you betcha. My goodness. So now my only other question is, so for the future now, do you have 27 more books you're working on, or what can we expect in the next year in terms of will there be another book, <laughs> yeah, or will, just, yeah. will there be more, more of a column? What's what's going on? What's happening? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be more of the same. I, I, I'm going to be continuing with the wine column. I love that. I've got a couple books that are kind of in, in progress um, right now, so there will definitely be more uh, more for me on the fiction front for sure. Um, yeah, and, and then I have, um, you know, I have a series of events coming up. I mentioned that great one at Liquid that's happening on Sunday where I'm going to talk with a bunch of other debut authors about catching the first right. big break. So that's on the horizon. Um, so yeah, just I, I I'm never really content just doing one thing. So you know, I don't think I'll ever just be a novelist, or I'll ever just be yes. a columnist, or I'll ever just be a mother or a wife or whatever. I think I will. I'm at my happiest and craziest doing several things at the same time, and and I think that oh, yeah. that's you know that's what we'll hear from me is like all of those those things will still be going on. <laughs> That's awesome, though, absolutely. And I don't want to forget to mention this before we go to the business end of things here. Um, you have two different events that are coming up that I know of, um, one of which is on the 4th, which is at Green Apple Books. You'll be in San Francisco at 7 p.m., and that's on the 4th of October. And then on October 8th, you'll be at Litquake, which is in San Francisco as well, and that's at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So if anybody is listening in, of course, and they want to meet Christina in person, you can go to either event on the 4th or the 8th. Um, Now what we're going to do is I'll read off all the different ways to find you, meaning for folks that are listening in in terms of where you're on social media and otherwise. Um, I want to remind you, though, first, uh, just so you know, to anybody who is a fan or follower of yours, about two hours after we finish with this interview, it becomes archived. And so obviously I'll send you a copy of that. I also upload all of my um, interviews onto YouTube as well on my channel. So that this way you'll have copies of both, but it takes about two hours or so, um, just so that you know. Okay. And like I said, I'll send you over a copy of that as far as that goes. Now, before I read all of this off, I do not want to forget Anne Marie. I don't know how to pronounce Anne Marie's last name, so I'm not going to say your last Me. name, Anne Marie. Yeah. And, thank you. <laughs> With Get Red PR, obviously, of course, Anne Marie. I cannot thank you enough. This is you are her very first client that she's had on my show. So my hope is that both you and her are pleased with the work that we did today. Hopefully, yeah, you're gonna it's been a Anne Marie. Oh, thank you. I have two more clients that she's got coming on. So, Anne, just keep, feel free to keep sending them to me. I cannot thank you enough because this was so it, – it's so enjoyable to me to be able to talk to other authors and because they appreciate and they get a sense of um, what I go through. We mutually share a lot of the same interests. It's just so intriguing and interesting to interview authors. So thank you, Anne-Marie, for the work and dedication that you do, and thank you for bringing this wonderful guest to me. Um, okay, so I'm going to read all these off. Uh, her website, folks, is Christina, and that's spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. Her last name, Julian, so it's Christina Julian, and that's J-U-L-I-A-N.com. 
She is on Facebook. She has both a personal page as well as her professional um, author page. She is on Amazon, Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, LinkedIn, and her Twitter handle is at Christine, and that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N underscore, and then her last name, Julian, J-U-L-I-A-N, and of course the name of the book is The Dating Bender. Did we forget anything or any other place to find you? No, those are those are all the places to find me for sure. Yeah, and my event page lists the events, and I'm going to stream from some of from the panel at Liquid. I'm actually going to really do Facebook. I'm going to do Facebook Live. So if people go to my fan page, Christina Julian Author on Facebook, um, you can you can you know go live at one o'clock um, Pacific time and hear the panel, at, or at any time it'll it'll be posted there. So yeah, any authors that are like really want to hear the inside scoop on publishing from four authors that all wrote different types of book in different genres. You can, nice. you, if you're not in San Francisco area, you can hear it on Facebook and see it. You know. That's awesome. That's cool. And plus two, it's easier for us. Cause that's why I do internet radio. Cause I'm like, then I can interview you or someone in Canada or international. It's yeah. amazing what technology does. It that's is. Absolutely it is awesome. so amazing. It is. Isn't it cool? It's like, Oh my God, this is so neat. I'm talking to somebody in California. So I will make it a point. I know that I don't always get to Napa Valley. Usually it's either L.A. or last time it was San Diego and my film festivals this month. So I'm going to try to do some traveling sometime in November or December. So if I make it to California, I will certainly look you up because I would love to shake yes, your hand in person. He's a woman do. who wrote this book. I'm like, oh, my God, that would be awesome. And please do yeah, not yeah. forget it. Any given... <laughs> oh, my God, yes. She just said it. Wine tasting, coffee in the morning, wine in the afternoon. I'm so down for this. I can't stand it. Yeah, um, yeah. This let is me awesome. know, Tim. Let me know. We would have fun. I will do. I will definitely do that. And I sent you a Facebook friend request, but I noticed I'm at 5,000. But that will probably change because I'm a very loudmouth journalist. I won't lie about that, folks. You all know it. So eventually okay. someone will get upset enough. So if you feel inclined, feel free to go ahead and accept the request. And before I forget, don't be a stranger, please. That means if three months down the road you have something else to promote or you just want to come back on the show, you just let me know. You can come back anytime you like. I would love to okay, promote you Okay, thank you. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for thank having you. me. Anytime, dear. You have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, you too. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Wasn't she fabulous? I'm telling you, I get some of the best authors on here. I can't even stand it. One more time, her name is Christina Julian. The website, ChristinaJulian.com. She has a personal and professional Facebook page. She's on Goodreads, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, LinkedIn, and Twitter. The handle is at Christine, and that's without the A, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N underscore, and then Julian. Again, one more reminder, October 4th, it's Green Apple Books in San Francisco at 7 o'clock, and October 8th at Litquake in San Francisco at 1 p.m. Again, thank you so much to Christina, as well as, again, Anne-Marie from Get Red PR for organizing and help to structure this interview. Oh, love, 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 love my writers. So one more reminder to everybody tomorrow, don't forget that I am on air interviewing Miss Win Charles tomorrow. Uh, please make it a point to listen. Like I said, not only do I love the fact that I have so many authors on my show this week, but the fact of the matter is anyone that struggles and survives in real life and turns it into a polypositive, I can't even, I cannot even explain to you what that means to me. It's so very moving. So please, if you can tomorrow, try to tune in 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. I hope all of you guys have an absolute wonderful afternoon. I don't want to forget to remind everybody, in case you haven't seen, unlike myself, um, most of you probably knew before you woke up in the morning about the Las Vegas tragedy. I myself just found out uh, when I first woke up, and I was just traumatized to say the least. Thank God. Dangerous guy. My sister is doing uh, well. She's alive and well, thank God. But some of you have not checked in from Las Vegas. Please, please, please send out prayers to everybody. Please let them know how much they mean to you. It all is over in a heartbeat. I say this constantly. So please make sure to show your loved ones that you care and prayers to all of you who are affected by this latest terrorist, well, not even terrorist, I guess you want to say tragedy. So I hope you all have a wonderful evening. I'm going to go uh, prep and get ready to go get my kiddos and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Take care.